Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring the Donovan Frito Show. Welcome in to another episode of the Dono and Frito Show here on Sirius XM Slam Radio. Reunited, it's been a minute. We are back. Happy to be with you. A lot going on in the National Football League. My guy Tua is grabbing all the headlines. This is the day after the NBA draft. And Frito, how about our guy Precious Achua, who does not play like someone whose name would be Precious. He's a monster out there on that court, but Precious Achua is now a member of the Miami Heat. The memes should be endless now. Well, I keep thinking of the uh, dog in Silence of the Lambs, Precious, and the, and the killer, Jane Gum, looking down that, that well, and the girl has got Precious. And he's like, oh, Precious, bully-poo, bully-poo. And, uh, but th- this guy, I mean, you look at him, he, you know, he's like a monster. Sort of remind, you look at him and you're like, Bam Adebayo? You know, there's a little bit of comparison there. And... Uh, and it's going to be fun to see him play. You know, the, the Heat, I mean, they picked 20. Bam was picked. I remember we interviewed Bam the night he was drafted. It was, I think, 13th overall. Tyler Hero, 14. They seem to be immune to picking a little bit later in the first round. They seem to target the right guy. I don't remember who wrote this, Dono, but it was a local writer who said he interviewed, I think it was a scout before the draft, and said if this guy precious falls to 20, it's a steal for the Miami Heat. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah. And – you know, Frito, this what I tend to do after a player is drafted, especially in the NBA draft, where I may not watch certain programs that closely. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on Memphis basketball. Hell, we didn't even have March Madness last year. So, you know, usually that's when I start to ramp up my college basketball viewing. But um, one of my favorite things to do after the Heat draft a player, I did it after they drafted Tyler Hero, I did it after they drafted Bam Adebayo, Justice Winslow, and so on, is... I love to go onto YouTube and find the compilations. God bless the internet because even if a player you're not that familiar with gets drafted, guaranteed you can go onto YouTube and there Mm -hmm. are hours of content of compilations. And I watched a couple of those, a 10-minute and a 6-minute last night. You you tweeted out about the 10-minute one. Yeah, and uh, and of course, you know, listen, sizzle reel, highlight reel. You're you're only getting the best stuff, right? So you're, you're going to get it. They call it a highlight reel for a reason. But you know, his length is out mm-hmm. of sight, out of this world. Uh, he's even got range on his shot. He's hitting three pointers in these clips. But the most incredible thing about these precious Achua sizzle reels is his ability to so fluidly block shots and keep them in bounds and recover them. Like I have never seen such an elegant shot blocker in my life. He (laughs) makes it look, it's like James Bond blocking a shot. It's ridiculous watching that. I never thought I'd see those words in order. Elegant shot blocker. Those (laughs) somehow are contradictory. Those really don't go together, right? But but you know what I'm talking about because uh, yeah. I, I think you watched the one that I tweeted out, and like it's it's very just uh, just very fluid and natural the way he blocks shots. It's not violent the way he does it. No, defends the rim well, and you know you just put him down low, and like I say, 
I, I saw a quote by Riley saying, I don't know how much they're going to play together, he and Bam, but he said that's up to Spo. But it just, it just reminded me of that a good, a good down low defender like that. And he just, you know, he, he runs from the basket like it, it just seems grateful. I don't know. It just seems this guy's got a lot of gifts. And, you know, what the, think about it. This is the weird part. The season starts in a little over a month. Wow. I think they're starting December 22nd. That's true. It's just so, so we're going to see him fairly soon. Uh, not in person. I don't think they're going to allow anybody to, uh, to uh, be in the triple A anytime soon, but you know, we're going to see, him. I mean, he, this guy's got a month to, to, to sort of get ready, but you know, it's going to take a while for him to develop. I mean, Bam's first season is not the Bam we see now, who's a tremendous player, and, you know, but given time, I mean, Tyler Hero seems to really develop really quickly and he's kind of only 20 years old. So, you know, we got to give him time and he's not going to have the, the regular off season, but there was a heck of a lot of potential there. And it was fun to watch that, uh, you know, those, those videos. Like, I didn't watch all 10 minutes, but I watched a lot. Yeah, I think I might have tapped out after about six minutes, full disclosure. <laughs> but, and, you know, leading up to the draft, anytime I'm thinking about, oh, the Heat have the 20th overall pick, you know, there are players out there, the Bradley Beals of the world, mm-hmm. that you're thinking, hey, or are the Heat going to make, like, a big move this coming summer? You know, prior to the draft, I'm even wondering, like, are they even going to use this 20th overall pick? Are they going to trade it before they even officially pick the player? Is the player going to end up getting traded afterwards? I, I don't know even for sure if uh, if Precious Achua is going to be a member of the Heat for a full season. But I got to tell you um, – after reading up on the kid and, and watching what he can do, I'm, I'm a little bit more excited, a lot more excited about this 20, 20th overall pick than I thought I would have been otherwise. So I trust Pat Riley to do whatever he can do, right? Whether, whether he's actually going to have Precious, you know, stay on the squad and develop under Spo or trade him away, I'm good with that. Something I, I want your take on, Frito. You mentioned Tyler Hero, who looks so promising and was so good in the bubble bubble hero Mm -hmm. was massive and he was (laughs) so good in the playoffs if the heat are going to make a big move um you know I'll I'll use Bradley Beal as the example I'm not going to use Giannis Antetokounmpo because Giannis Antetokounmpo if you do end up finding a way to acquire him it would be a miracle in free agency next summer I don't think he's going to be traded although Milwaukee doesn't know what they're doing they seem to, I mean, they seem to upgrade their team. They're, they're, I think they're doing everything in their power to convince him to sign yeah. that max deal, that yeah. five-year deal. And they've, they've upgraded their team. And, you know, if he looks around and says, you know, we got to, we really have a shot here. He just might, he just might stay there. I mean, so I don't know if he's going to be available for the heat. I mean, yeah. and Milwaukee is doing everything in their power right now to convince him to stay and, and put his name on that contract. Yeah, so I've, I've got to be thinking what you're saying is probably right, okay? Uh, but if you look at a Bradley Beal, for example, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, if you're going to acquire him this year, it's probably going to have to be an offer that starts with Tyler Hero, right? And so then you have to ask the question to every Heat fan, and it's going to be more than just Tyler Hero, but that's it would be Tyler Hero, a draft pick, another player or two if you're going to acquire uh, Well, Bradley. let me interview a second. How old is Beal? roughly 27 oh he's got his best year ahead of him so I would say as much as I love hero if that's the starter to get you Bradley Beal I think it's worth it if Beal were in his 30s I'd be a lot more hesitant to do that but he's still he's still in the early 32 I'd say forget it yeah right if you said he was 32 I would have said no 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 27 you're just 
I mean, you, you've got I mean, data shows you've got your best years ahead of you if you stay healthy. So yeah, no, you're right because Hero was great for a while in in a, in a controlled environment, and I'm not taking anything away from what can he do, you know, over a long 82 game season. We haven't seen that. We know what Bradley Beal can do. So. I, you know, if I'm Pat Riley, I'm not hanging up that phone. I'm like, okay, well, what else, you know, how do we make this work? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and listen, there, there are a lot of players that I wouldn't deal Tyler Hero for. For example, if it was a Drew Holiday deal, you know, he's already gone to Milwaukee, but Milwaukee. he was a player that the Heat were rumored to be interested in. Mm-hmm, right. He's in his 30s, and he's also, you know, he's got a, a player option coming up, which he would probably take, but still there's some uncertainty there. Like, I'm not trading Tyler Hero for a player in his 30s unless it's one of the best two or three players in the league. I'm going to mix sports here, but if if you were that close, and I know they made the finals, but if you felt, say, a 30-something Drew Holiday would put you over the goal line and get you that trophy, yes, then you sacrifice Tyler Hero. It's like a, you know, a baseball team. The Cubs did. They traded, uh, you know, Eloy Jimenez, an incredible prospect, to get a Rollis Chapman. They had him for three months and they hoisted the World Series trophy. And then Chapman went back to the Yankees as a free agent. I don't care if Eloy Jimenez is a first ballot Hall of Famer. It got the Cubs a World Series. If, the, if, if you had to trade Tyler Hero for a 30-something guy that you felt would be the final piece to get you that NBA title and you felt you were that, that close and this was a perfect match, then you deal hot Tyler Hero and you take that chance. And you don't care how Hero does the rest of his career because the whole point in any sport is to hoist that trophy. Amen. And, you know, I, I, Pat Riley is going to feel some pressure to do something here. Right, right. When, you look I, at, when you look at the Milwaukee Bucks having acquired Holiday, um, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, there's a lot of noise that they're going to be acquiring James Harden to team him up with KD and Kyrie. Uh, you know, the Celtics are, are always going to be in that mix now in the East. Uh, is there? Do you think there's extra pressure for Pat Riley to say that, hey, even though our nucleus was just good enough to reach the finals, if we're going to keep up with the arms race in the Eastern Conference, we need to go get another star now. I don't think – I could be wrong. I don't think Riley feels that pressure. I mean, I think you really like the team he has. They got they had two critical injuries in the finals, so that set him back. But, you know, if those guys stay healthy, if they – if they, I, Dragic, I believe, is a free agent. They, you know, hopefully they bring him back. And mm-hmm. I think Shea Crowder is the other one. Um, but if, if, if they're, if they remain like they are, I think they got a hell of a team. Riley's always going to look to upgrade. I don't think he feels, boy, I better do something right now. I'm really desperate to make a move. If a move makes sense, he'll do it. But I don't think he's, I don't think he feels, and I could be wrong, an immediate pressure to get something done right now. I think they've got one heck of a team and they got a real good chance the way they are if they stay healthy, I think, he, you know, he'll always look to improve that depth. But I think he, I, I think he really likes the team right now as constituted. And I'm guessing if a year ago, a year and a half ago, you said the word told Riley where the team would be right now, I think he'd be awfully pleased. Hmm. And, it, and he's just, you know, we, you and I talked on our show before that maybe he'd finally leave the team when he felt it was really competitive. He didn't want to leave, you know, a, a bad team. You know, and maybe then he'd go and retire and go to Malibu's house there. But he, I saw a quote by him recently. He's, I don't think he's going anywhere in a while. He's having too much fun. He is. It's crazy. Even um, – it's funny you bring that up because a few weeks ago, 
he had his end of the season news conference, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. obviously different this year. He did it over Zoom. Well, but, I covered many of those. Yeah, yeah, but it, it every Remember time once he challenged LeBron James in yes. 2014. That was the best one ever. And it was, it, it was insulting. It's like, why are you trying to get this guy to re-sign? Why are you insulting him? Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, actually, on that note, here's a sidebar. I think the reason why he challenged him that summer is he already had a really good idea he was leaving. So he thought, this is a Hail Mary. Like, it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I might be – I don't want to screw up LeBron's decision-making. I already think he's gone, so I'm going to throw up a Hail Mary and try to appeal to his manhood. But to, to what I was saying – about a few weeks ago, Riley held his end-of-season presser. And over the last couple of years, every time he does one of those, I'm always kind of wondering before it starts, I'm thinking, could this be the year he starts it off by saying, guys, now I'm retiring, this is it. <laughs> but then every time I'm thinking that going into the, to the presser, and then within 30 seconds, he's starting to talk about competing and how much fun he's having. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Pat still has it. Pat still has that competitive edge. I appreciate what you're saying about him loving this group. They really, what they did this past season is a year or two ahead of schedule. Like that was, I think even the Heat were surprised that they got to the NBA Finals. Maybe not the players, but I think organizationally they were surprised that they even got to the NBA Finals. And, you know, I I could understand seeing what a couple of other teams are doing, why you might get the itch to make a move this summer or this it's not summer but whatever this off season when you wouldn't normally do something that drastic I can understand getting that itch but I think you raise a good point you know that we need to have perspective on the fact that um, Jimmy Butler is still in his prime for probably another few years and Mm -hmm. Bam Adebayo is only going to keep getting better Tyler Hero is certainly only going to keep getting better, you know, assuming he doesn't get traded for somebody like Bradley Beal. He's only going to keep getting better. And uh, I think there are enough reasons to believe in. And maybe you get something more consistent out of Kendrick Nunn, who uh, was good enough to be second in rookie of the year voting, not good in the playoffs. But, you know, uh, there could be more development there. Like you have pieces on this team. A lot of them are young, already playing at a near superstar level. In the case of Adebayo, really, really close to playing at a superstar level. And there's going to still be some improvement there. So I know it's easy for somebody like me to say that, oh, hey, you need to you know, go get another superstar like Bradley Beal so that you have Jimmy, Bam, and Beal. But who's to say that within the next year, Tyler Hero doesn't become that superstar? I think right. – especially being in a place like this, because I think there are certain other teams that Tyler Hero could play on where he's not going to get developed so great, but to be developed in an Eric Spolster program with Pat Riley overseeing it, I think there's a better chance here he becomes a superstar. So maybe depth, like you said, is what they need. Maybe mm-hmm. getting a guy like a Danilo Gallinari or a Paul Millsap would be the type of move that can really keep this team an NBA Finals type team. So I, I like that. I think you raise a good point because Heat fans need to have perspective. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. The, the only thing I'd say, and I could say, and I'm not saying it's about the Heat exclusively, any team, we have to see how they do now in an 82-game schedule. Remember, that was that long, long gap when nobody played. So, uh, you know, how does a Tyler Hero perform in 82 games? Because he went from college with many fewer games, and then he played a while here in the pros, and it was a long gap, and then they came back and, and played in the bubble. So we'll have to wait and see. But I, there, I think, it, look, if you're a Heat fan, there's a hell of a lot of reason for optimism. And I think it all started with that uh, acquisition of Jimmy Butler. I think that one 
was such a uh, you know a, 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 a starter. I mean, just it it, it it was such a spark for the team. And then you have guys like Nunn, as you say, second in, in you know in voting, and Hero emerges. And you know they had if, if you're a veteran, not a, every veteran on that team had no problem. Heroes open, bam, let's feed it to him. Let him take the shot. To have trust in a rookie, to have trust in a guy who can't even legally buy a beer. That says how much he's developed so quickly. And we'll see how Precious does and how he develops. But you have every reason for optimism. This team, you know, is, is so good at teaching and coaching. Now, they're not going to have the time that they normally would, you know, to get him and, 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 and teach him like they've done in the past. But guess what? No team does. Right. You know, it's wild. I mean, we just had an NBA draft in mid-November. Um, when Zion Williamson was drafted, it feels like three years ago. God, yeah. I mean, that, that was only, you know, like a year and four months ago. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, a year ago in June, June of 19. Yeah, which, which is wild because – uh, it just it, and and since that time, you know, we we've been through a pandemic, we've been through a presidential election, we've been through a social revolution. Like, there's been a lot that's happened in this country since the, you know, the 2019 NBA draft, and it's it's just crazy to think that uh, that that it's been this long now that that, that dude was drafted because that feels like a much much longer time ago. You know, Frito, it's been a little while since we've done one of these, and. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks now since I am completely finished with my Sopranos rewatch. I, oh, I got okay. Your show, <laughs> and I, I got to tell you, um, finishing it, going through the final final season, final episode. I know that when we spoke to our pal Steve Sharippa a couple of years uh-huh. ago on the Dono and Frito show, that he said he's convinced that Tony Soprano is still alive somewhere. You know, after that. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced he's dead. Like watching and spoiler alert for anyone who's not watched the Sopranos. It's been off the year off the air for 13 years. But I think if you read the tea leaves there and you watch that, you're, you're seeing that final scene through Tony's eyes, through Tony's perspective. And you're watching that dude in the members only jacket. Who's kind of eyeing him. And then he goes into the restroom and you've had the clues throughout the show. Remember when Michael Corleone shot, uh, shot Solazzo that he went and he came out of the restroom and he came out firing that uh, and then from Tony's perspective it just goes fades to black out of nowhere Frito I am a hundred percent convinced that that final scene was Tony Soprano's death I hate to say it because I, I would have loved the man to have lived a happy life with his family after that I think he was gone years uh, sorry a few episodes before Tony had a dream that he saw Phil Leotardo being murdered on the street by Tony Blondetto and then everybody was chasing Tony and he's running down this alley trying to find somewhere to, to escape this crowd. And there was a guy in a window with a rifle shooting at him. And it was like, this is episodes before. Uh-huh. And it was the guy in the members only jacket. Oh, oh, I did not. Wow. I did not realize that and, connection. Now you blew my mind. And uh, um, David Chase, I saw an interview with him. He said three years before the show ended, he knew this is how he wanted to end it, that fade to black. He knew wow. this years before. And I'll tell you what, why it's such a brilliant ending. Whether he lives or dies, this happened 13 years ago, and we're still talking about it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that to me, it's, it, it, it doesn't seem to have a shelf life. It's, I mean, a, you know, a half life. It seems just to, people are still talking about this lot. Is he alive? Is he dead? No one knows for sure. You know, but it, just, it was a brilliant way to end the show, except 
like I said, when I saw it, and it was years after the show ended that I saw it. I thought, oh my God, my, my, my TV went out at the worst possible time. And only about 10 seconds later, they show the credits like, oh my God. That's how it yeah. That, 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 that's what I thought too. I, um, I, the, the first time I watched the final episode, I did watch it. I'm not going to say live, but first airing, right? I mean, I guess, I mean, it wasn't being done live, but it was live. I was watching it at, you know, 9 p.m. HBO that Sunday night. And yeah, everyone who was watching it at that point, like you, they thought, oh no, like HBO is out or my, my satellite went down, my mm-hmm. cable is out. Like they thought, oh my God, we're about to see the epic conclusion to The Sopranos. And, and then, yeah, 10 seconds later, that's it? Those are the credits? What happened? And whether it's a TV show or an epic movie, Donna, when you have the perfect marriage between a song and a scene, it lasts forever. Will you ever hear uh, Don't Stop Believing and not think of that ending? You'll Ever. always think of that ending. I always you know? will. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, it, uh, there's a song. Did you ever see um, um, uh, Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Stuck in the middle. Middle with you. We, I cannot listen to that song ever again. I like that song. I, 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 I just can't listen to it ever again because I think of that scene with Michael Madsen. And, and cutting off the guy's ear. I just, it, I cannot listen to that song ever. Oh, it's true. I, I got to think if there are any more. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this on the other side. If there are any other songs that are just associated with or even ruined by the association they have with TV and movies, keep it locked here to the Dono and Frito show on Sirius XM Slam Radio. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. This is Tua Tungle by Lowen. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker everywhere. What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio. Serious XM. Yeah. Slam Radio has brought so much positivity into my life that allows so many young people to have a voice. I'm very thankful for this opportunity at Slam Radio. Not a lot of people get to say that they worked on the first radio station run inside a high school. I've learned so much from Frank the Tank. I've learned so much from Danny's, from The Amigo. I've learned so much from them and I thank them so much and it means a lot to me. Slam Radio is a community. It just gives you opportunity. They give you opportunities that not many schools have. The people here are just great. Someone always has your back no matter what. It is definitely a place to leave your egos and your insecurities behind and just be yourself and all become one. I'm so thankful for everybody here at Slam Radio and I'm thankful for this wonderful opportunity that I've been given to jumpstart my career. You are listening to Slam Radio on Sirius XM 145. And now we're back with the Donovan Frito Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Welcome back into the Dono and Frito show here on Sirius XM Slam Radio. Alex Dono alongside Josh Friedman. Happy and to my be- dad Wrigley, who's uh, <laughs> barking like crazy. <laughs> this is the magic of uh, doing shows, you know, at home through Zoom is you're going to get, like in Frito's case, you're going to get pets. In my case, you might hear my toddler going crazy sometimes in the background. You know, Frito has two lovely daughters, but they're probably old enough not to just randomly make noise in the background the way that well, my two-and-a-half-year-old is. They're in the, each, you know, they each have their own bedroom, and they're there right now uh, in school. You know, school started a little after 9 o'clock, so they're, uh, you know, they're in eighth grade, so they're in first period right now. Boy, I don't miss that at all. <laughs> they're in eighth grade now? That's so, crazy. They're in eighth grade. They're going, they're, they, 
they have to audition for high school for various things, one for dance, one for drama. They're, uh, so they're, those are auditions are in uh, January. Yeah, I mean, I swear to God, they were born yesterday. And all of a sudden they're going, you know, they're, they're going into high school in a few months. That just blows my mind. That, how has it been for them, like the whole virtual school experience? Like, has it, like, ha, and, and, I, and I'm sure that, you listen, your daughters are old enough and mature enough to understand the situation going on in the world right now. So, you know, listen, I'm, I'm sure they're not like complaining so much about it, but is it, but is it like, is it weird for them? Would they prefer to be doing regular school, like, you know, before the pandemic or what's it like? One would like to go back to school desperately, uh, but she mm-hmm. understands it. Yeah. Uh, that's Nicole. Jillian uh, loves learning at home and loves being here. But um, I don't know. There have been a number of cases in their school, and I'm just wondering if, you know, maybe when the semester ends fairly soon, if they just might say, all right, everybody's going to learn online. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I feel bad for them. You know, like, uh, you know, I'd like to take them someplace, even eat. I don't even feel comfortable eating outdoors at a restaurant right now you know we'll get takeout from someplace and i just feel bad for them and you know they're missing out that thanksgiving's a big deal and we're, we're having it just the four of us my wife me and our daughters um because the family didn't want to take a chance on on uh, getting together that's what the government is advising and we agree so it's, mm-hmm. you know I, they're, they're missing out on a lot and i feel badly for them but you know i tell them one day they're going to look back and maybe if there's a vaccine available soon maybe a year from now everything will be returned to normal who knows yeah. And you look back on this and, and, and I, you know, say, you're going to have incredible stories to tell your children. They're not even going to believe you when you see, when you tell them all the extremes that you had to do to get through this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, for, for us, you know, my, my son is not even three years old yet. So he, you know, obviously he doesn't understand what a pandemic is. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is if ever he does have to go somewhere, if he sees his mom or dad going somewhere that, we've got masks on. So for him, that's normal. He's got these little masks that he has. He actually likes putting them on now, which is interesting because when we first, you know, like months ago, first tried to put a mask on and he hated it. He's like, what is this? But the adjustment for him, Frito, is going to be, you know, and and I don't know how long it's going to be, honestly, until we don't have to wear masks anywhere you go. I don't know if that's a matter of months or more than a year or multiple. I, I have no idea. But for him, the adjustment is going to be, you know, if he's three, four years old at the time, explaining to him, hey, we don't have to wear masks anymore. <laughs> like, that's going to be the adjustment because for him, it's just a normal part of life. If you're going to go somewhere, oh, I've got my mask. I'm wearing a mask. That's a normal thing. So that's going to be the adjustment for him is, uh, is I'm going to have to explain to him, how come we don't need masks anymore whenever that time comes? If you ever complain, it's just trying to tell him, you know, you, you make it a fun game, like you're being a certain character that has to wear a mask and maybe then he'll yeah. We'll figure it out, you know, but you say your son doesn't understand the pandemic. That's okay. Neither does our president. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> By the way, I just, I'm, I've got MSNBC on here and there's breaking news. It says in a last ditch effort to remain in the white house, Donald Trump is legally changing his name to Joe Biden. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a smart move, right? <laughs> That's right. I'm Joe Biden. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh, Frito brought the jokes today. I love it. I love it. Oh, man. So you're going to have uh, the Thanksgiving, just the four of you. Uh, my, my Thanksgiving mm-hmm. is going to be pretty low key. It's going to be my wife, my son, and and my parents uh, will be around. So and, and there there are some years where we've hosted like 
not only, you know, extended family members, but even some family friends. We've had up to like 15, 16 people. Sometimes it's going to be limited to five people uh, this time around. So, uh, and we and normally you know, have about 20, between 20 and 25. Really? No, I mean, at my sister in law's house. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah so that's, wow. That's why this is unusual. But yeah, down, we're down to four. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Wow. No, no, no. It's, it's cool. Uh, but, you know, I, I would still imagine because my, my father does most of the cooking for Thanksgiving. That's why, you know, we're, we're still having it at his house because, you know, my wife and I could not do nearly as good of a job. Uh, but I would imagine that even though there's only going to be five people instead of like 15 people, he's probably going to still cook enough food for 15 people, which I'm excited for. I'm going to mix segments here. I, I hear the phone. That's okay. You need to get it? <laughs> no, I don't. It's, uh, it, it's, it, I'm, I'm at my parents' house. It's their okay. life, so No, I don't need to get it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to mix the Sopranos with Thanksgiving because there was an episode once when, when uh, you know, Tony brings home this enormous turkey. And before when they got the turkeys delivered to the Bing, because, of course, that's where you deliver turkeys is to a strip club. Right. Um, <laughs> they... And they were talking about, Silvio was talking about an Italian Thanksgiving. You know, I guess there is a turkey, but there's Manigost, which I guess is manicotti. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lasagna, there's antipasto and all that. Your father's making Thanksgiving. Your father originally is from Italy. Mm-hmm. What is, are there specific Italian dishes in this Thanksgiving that maybe, you know, uh, you know we wouldn't have? Yeah, there's a, a, I don't know exactly what he has in store for this year because sometimes he changes it up a bit, but more often than not, he does make lasagna, which is so, like he makes a really good lasagna. He only makes it maybe a couple of times a year because it, it seems pretty labor intensive, but um, sometimes he'll do that on Thanksgiving. I hope this is going to be a lasagna year. I'm not pie. and asked him what the menu is because we're, we're a week out still. So I usually start to badger him on that a few days before. But there, there's often a lasagna. There is the traditional stuff. So the good thing about the Italian Thanksgiving is you get most of the traditional stuff, which some of it I love, some of it I don't care for so much, but you get that plus additional. So it's like nothing really gets cut out. Things are only added in, which is kind of cool. Uh, I think the only thing that we don't do that some households do um, I don't think everybody does this, but I know a lot of people tell me that macaroni and cheese is a big part of their Thanksgiving spread. That's like the one thing that we don't do because there's usually some other kind of pasta, right? So mac and cheese would be redundant if you're having uh, lasagna or if you're having, you know, if you're having like some other pasta red sauce dish, that macaroni would be kind of redundant. You don't really need that. So that's the one thing we don't usually get. So there's usually some form of pasta, hopefully lasagna. My father is big on these um, really extensive like appetizers. Like he likes to do shrimps with like various different sauces. Like he does cocktail style shrimp with a, with a pink sauce. He'll do sometimes this uh, saffron shrimp, which is my personal favorite. Cause I mean, saffron is like gold. He actually, every summer, he didn't go last summer cause of the pandemic, but every summer he goes to Italy and he'll bring home like a small suitcase just full of bags of saffron because it's less expensive in Europe than it is over here. Like saffron is like more expensive than gold by weight in this country for whatever reason. But in Europe, you can get it a little cheaper and he loves cooking with saffron. So the saffron sh- shrimp is always a winner. And usually there's an additional meat to turkey that he'll make. Sometimes it's like a roast pork um sometimes he'll make some kind of like a like a beef or a steak dish in addition to turkey 
And that's always a welcome one for me because I don't know how you feel about it, but I maintain turkey is the most overrated meat that turkey would not even really be sold in mass quantities if not for Thanksgiving because Americans have been convinced this is necessary to eat on the holiday. I can take or leave turkey. Like it's, you know, oh, Wrigley. I, I bet Wrigley likes turkey, right? But but no, so so that, that that's the gist of Italian Thanksgiving. There's usually some sort of an extra pasta dish with us and, and the hors d'oeuvres can be a little bit more Italian centric and it's always in addition to the other stuff. Well, you know, we're four people, so uh, you know, buying a turkey, I mean, even the small ones, it's, it's so much. And I'm not, yeah. I said to, to my daughters the other day, I know Jackie was at work, although she knows I feel this way. I said, you know, turkey is, it's just okay. I, yeah. I to me, I, I much prefer the side dishes than the actual turkey. Um, I like the dark meat if, you know, there's got to be some gravy on it or you know, something like that. Um, the one good thing about Turkey is especially now, since I, I look, my sister, sister's in law, don't live far from here, maybe 15 minutes away. They live in country law. Um, but boy, you put enough Turkey in me and that tryptophan makes the drive home tough because boy, that puts me to sleep. Um, the one time a year I sleep really well, but you know, she said, what, what, maybe she'll make chicken or something. And that's fine. You know, I don't need a Turkey. I don't know of anybody that says, boy, I can't wait to get turkey it just i mean if you feel that way do you ever eat it any other time of year does anybody buy a turkey in may I can, not that i know but i much prefer the stuffing and and all the other things that uh, go with it i'm actually i might actually okay this is breaking news because i am i am i don't cook i'm terrible at it okay i admit it 58 years old i'm lousy but i might try to make a dessert for this you know and, and if i can uh I mean, for me, you know, I, I get nervous in the kitchen. If I look at a direction and it's a stir, I get nervous. Okay, just that one word. But I might try to make a pie for uh, for the thing. I might try to make a pecan pie, which I understand is pretty easy to do. I love so pecan pie too. That's great. The girls are like, you're going to try to bake? Uh, yeah, you're going to try some? Okay. You know, a little, little reticent there. But, uh, you know, I might try to bake something, and uh, and, and we'll see how it uh you know, it, it, it comes about you. So, but I'm looking, you know, Thanksgiving. Okay. Here's, let me ask you this. Cause you grew up here and you know, my parents are, are, are long since deceased. And, but when I was growing up, um, and I wish my dad could see me now because I can, you know, it's my house. I get to do what I want, you know, and I, I would sit at the dining room table. And if I lean to the right, I could see all the way into the living room where the TV was. Ooh. Now, my Cowboys play every Thanksgiving. This goes back decades to when I was a kid. Yeah. And we always had Thanksgiving, the meal, right around the time they played. And I begged my father, can I, look, I understand you don't want the volume on during Thanksgiving. Could we at least just have the picture on and the volume off where I could go like this? And he never let me. He never let me do this. And you know, now that I'm in my house, now I say my house, it's my wife's too, of course, you know, I'm not an autocrat here, but you know, I, I, I guarantee, even if it's the volume's off, football is going to be on all day. It just mm -hmm. is going to, and just, you know, sometimes the volume will be on other times not, my wife won't mind at all, but it's great being able to make that ruling. Like, yeah, there's football. And if my father is looking down, see, I can watch football right now. Yeah. When I, I had a similar experience to you, um, it's different now that 
I'm a grown man and our Thanksgivings now are much more relaxed because it was when I was growing up, it was different because we would go over to grandma and grandpa's house. Right. And you know, then they're, they're no longer with us. And you know, my, my parents were very big on, you know, respect your elders that even if there are certain things you might be able to get away with when we're just at our house, you know, when you're at grandma and grandpa's house, you, you, you have to be minding your P's and Q's. You have to be on your best behavior. You know, we were also there with, uh, you know, extended family, aunt and uncles and cousins and all that. And, you know, one one of my uncles is, you know, kind of a hard ass and, you know, he, and not a sports <laughs> fan. So, so part of the problem was Frito that I was not in a big family of sports fans because one of, you know, I, I've got a, a female cousin who actually, it's funny because my female cousin is actually, she's become almost as big of a football fan as I am, but she didn't grow up caring. Like, well, I, I don't know what it was. And you, actually, I think I know why she became a big football fan she married a football coach, like she married a high school coach. So since she's, you know, she's been, she's been with this, uh, with this man, her husband for probably the last, you know, 15, 16 years. So, you know, as an adult, she's become a huge football fan, but growing up, she wasn't a fan. I've got three male cousins who surprisingly enough, never into football. They only watch like auto racing is the only sport that they watch. It was, it, I have, yeah. And they live in North Carolina now, go figure. Like they live in the epicenter of auto racing now at this point. But, you know, growing up, we'd go to grandma and grandpa's house. We're there with extended family. There's like 15, 16 of us, 20 of us there, whatever it was. And trying to sneak even a peek at the football games was like pulling teeth. It was a nightmare. Right. And like sometimes they would turn the game on no sound because they knew I was into it. But anytime I and, and the Thanksgiving meal back then, even now, but it's more relaxed now that, it, you know, there, there's less of us and I'm a grown man. So I get a little bit more respect. But back then, Frito, the Thanksgiving meal was like three hours long, like it would go through an entire cool. football game. And if it was happening during either the Cowboys game, you know, probably because that was usually the late afternoon game. So it was usually that one. Um, like it, it was, it was really difficult for me to get any screen time. And if I tried to get any screen time, I would have, uh, you know, my dad was more relaxed, but my mom would start shooting me these dirty looks like, no, this is family time. If you're trying to sneak off and watch football, cause you're, you know, I started playing fantasy football pretty young. So if I was trying to check my fantasy team, or if I just wanted to watch the game, I would get these dirty looks from my mom and it made me feel really guilty. It's a little bit better now. Okay. Because you know, now that uh, it's, you know, usually uh, most years, I mean, this year is going to be a little quieter, but most years it's my, my wife and I, my son, my parents, my, uh, my, my in-laws will, will come over and occasionally some family friends will come over and like, they're more understanding of the fact that, you know, not only do I love football, but you know, I, I work in a field where it's important to watch the game. So if I want to sneak off and watch a few plays in the downtimes of the dinner, and if we can kind of work the dinner around the football schedule. I get, I get a lot more leeway now, but you know, your story about growing up and not being able to watch, it really reminded me of me growing up because, you know, I, I know that a lot of people will say that oh, Thanksgiving is as much about football as it is about the Thanksgiving meal. It wasn't the case for me because I was like one of the only, my father cared a little bit as well, but I was one of the only football fans in my family. It was really tough getting any screen time with the football games. Yeah, well, you know, now that, you know, I'm in, I'm in my own house and the meal is here, uh, that's the way it's going to be. And if we had people over who objected to it, I'd say, guess what? This is my house. Okay, you don't want it. You host it. But 
when we would go to my sister-in-law's house, brother-in-law's house, um, you know, he's a big sports fan. So we would go and the, and the football game would be on all the time in the other room. So there was no, you know, and I'd sit there and, and, you know, I'd offer to help in the kitchen. Everybody would say no. And so I'd sit there and watch the game. And every few minutes I'd turn around. Uh, anybody need help in the kitchen? Nope. We're fine. Okay. And I'd watch more. It would, it would buy me goodwill. So I got yes. the best of both worlds. I would, I was watching football and yet no one can say that I didn't offer to help. Okay. The offer was there. I made it a few times and no one could say, God damn him. You know, he didn't, he just sat there and didn't offer anything. No one can say that because I did. When do we come back? I want to get into what are the best dishes on Thanksgiving? Cause it's clearly not Turkey. Frito and I are in agreement that it clearly isn't Turkey. So what is the king of the Thanksgiving table? You're listening to the Dono and Frito show here on Sirius XM slam radio. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. This is Tua Tungo Bailoa. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker Every What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio. Serious XM. Yeah. Slam Radio has brought so much positivity into my life that allows so many young people to have a voice. I'm very thankful for this opportunity at Slam Radio. Not a lot of people get to say that they worked on the first radio station run inside a high school. I've learned so much from Frank the Tank. I've learned so much from Danny, from The Amigo. I've learned so much from them and I thank them so much and it means a lot to me. Slam Radio is a community. It just gives you opportunity. They give you opportunities that not many schools have. The people here are just great. Someone always has your back no matter what. It is definitely a place to leave your egos and your insecurities behind and just be yourself and all become one. I'm so thankful for everybody here at Slam Radio and I'm thankful for this wonderful opportunity that I've been given to jumpstart my career. You are listening to Slam Radio on Sirius XM 145. And now we're back with the Donovan Frito Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Back here on the Dono and Frito Show, Sirius XM Slam Radio. So what is the king of the Thanksgiving table? And I'm, I'm starting to get hungry. I'm starting to get excited for next week. Um, now, obviously, the answer of some Italian-Americans would be something like lasagna. But if I'm going to keep it traditional, Frito, if I'm going to keep it traditional to something everyone can relate to, when it comes to the classic Thanksgiving dishes, what I get most excited for and really load up on my plate it's not turkey. Sorry, it's not. Um, it's not. It's not the cranberry sauce, which I'm not a huge fan of. I know a lot of people love it. Uh, it's not the sweet potato casserole, which I'm okay with. It's not the rolls. It's not the. Uh, some people get green bean casserole. I guess is a thing. Um, for me, the undisputed king of the traditional Thanksgiving table is the stuffing. Yes, I can load up on that all day, all night. That's one of those foods where I don't understand why we don't eat that more than one day a year. I really don't. Like I, I can understand why people don't crazy, don't, don't go crazy for like a full turkey more than one day a year because it's mediocre at best. I mean, deli turkey is a different thing, but like the big roasted turkey, why I can understand why we only eat it one day out of the year. But when it comes to stuffing, I, I would not mind eating stuffing 15, 20 days a year. I don't know why we have to limit that to Thanksgiving. 
this goes against all, you know, all the carbs that come with stuffing. But my mother made a great, you know, there's cornbread stuffing, which I just don't understand. That to me is. I've never had bad. that. And I, I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's okay, but it's stuffing. But my mother made traditional stuffing with white bread and it was great. I loved it as a kid. And sometimes you put some gravy over it or sauce, whatever, and it, it made it even better. And my, my wife found the recipe. She found my mother's handwritten recipe. My mother didn't make this up. I mean, she must've gotten it out of book somewhere, mm-hmm. but you know, I know my mom, my mother's been deceased for years, but I remember her handwriting and that's her handwriting <laughs> and it, you know, the, and the recipe. And so my wife made it once and brought a little bit over to the, our family Thanksgiving and no one, everybody was touching other things. Nobody really ate it. So I request now every year, not one loaf, but two loaves of bread and my wife makes the stuffing and I want the whole thing to remain at home. Okay. Yes. We're not bringing it over there anymore. No one seems to miss it. No yeah. one asks for it. But to me, it's one of my favorite things. And you're right. It's the only time of year I have it. I suppose I could ask my wife for it um, at another time, but uh, I, I don't. But the same thing is I'm going to buy the bread and show it's not very difficult for her to make. Yeah. And I'm just, I will eat that. I, I could, if you said, just eat that for Thanksgiving. No other side dishes, no other, you know, forget the turkey. That's fine. I'll be just fine with it. It's by far my favorite, my favorite side dish is, uh, is that it's, it's just, to me, it's just awesome. And it reminds me of being a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. And the first yeah. time I tasted it, when Jackie made it, I'm like, you know, it was like, oh my God, I haven't tasted this in, in decades. And it was just, oh my God, it was because she made it just like my mother. That is so cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. And, and yeah, I mean, you should definitely petition to Jackie that, hey, like we need to bust this out more than just one day a year. I, think <laughs> I never thought about it until you brought yeah. it up. You know what I, you know how like um, one of the big crazes with fast food or like quick service food is, you know, like Chipotle style, like everyone's doing rice bowls, right? Like that's a big, mm-hmm. that's a real popular thing. Why not we, we create a concept where we do stuffing bowls where it's like bowls oh. of stuffing and, and, you know, people can add like some chunks of meat. If you want like some chunks of turkey in there, or chunks of, you know, whatever chicken, whatever your choice is, but stuffing bowls, I think instead, because that's a similar concept for, for a rice bowl, right? I mean, you know, stuffing is just carbs. Rice is just carbs. Why not have a stuffing bowl? I would be all like the line for that drive through would be down the street. I had two things you just brought that uh, you brought, you made me, made me think of one, because I have said in the past, we've talked about this at, at some point, I can eat almost, not everything, almost anything cold. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you brought up lasagna. I, if it's in the refrigerator all night, I can eat it cold the next day and it tastes great. <laughs> I can eat stuffing cold. No problem. And my wife and my kids look at me just, you know, like I said, one plus one is nine. They look <laughs> at me like I'm nuts, but I love things that are cold. And you brought up fast food. Now, this, okay. I, I'm going to confess here. I like this. Now, maybe people... And I haven't had one in years because they don't roll it out that often. Mm-hmm. Next month, at some point, McDonald's is rolling out again the McRib. Yeah, that's right. You know, I've I can, never I tried can, it. I confess. Now, it comes with pickles and onions. I take the pickles off. Yeah, I don't like but pickles either. I, can, I confess. I like the McRib sandwich. They, they rolled it out maybe a year or two ago, but it was only in like two restaurants in the entire state of Florida. I'm not kidding. It was wow. nowhere in South Florida at all. Wow. Now they're rolling it out 
for a few weeks, I guess, to every McDonald's in the country. I confess, I love, you know, you brought up Chipotle mm-hmm. and we actually, we, we got takeout from there, rice bowls, you know, we, we, the, the burrito bowls, we got takeout there. The, those are great. And they're big enough. They can last a couple of meals for me. Um, but I confess, I like McRibs. I like the McRibs and I can't wait for them to come out. Yeah, you know, it's funny you brought that up because a, a couple of we- a couple of weeks ago I was discussing that on a show and I've never tried a McRib. And <laughs> yeah. I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not going to talk any trash about it because like I, I've never tried it and I know people and and you're you're now on that list as well. I've never discussed that sandwich with you before. I know a handful <laughs> of other people who swear by it, who love it. Now my take always was having never tried it kind of like the Thanksgiving turkey thing. If, if this is so good, why is this not a year-round item? And, and why do you think that is, Frito? Like, you don't, you don't think the McRib could sell three sixty-five a year? Like, well, why is it that that's a specialty I, seasonal item? I don't know, and I've wondered that myself. The only, like I say, they, they did a limited rollout. The last few times they've had it, it's been a limited rollout. And they're literally, literally, I'm not kidding, in South Florida, not a single McDonald's. Wow. No, none of them had it. Um, I, I went into one and said, you have it. They said the closest McDonald's, this is a manager uh-huh. that has it, is in Orlando. Oh, my God. Yes. They get everything uh, there in Orlando, by the way. They, <laughs> they, they have, like, they have Bennigan's there when they're out of business. And every really? Else they used to be on Kendall Drive right here. Yeah, used to be, used to be over here. Yeah, the, actually, my, uh-huh. growing up, my Bennigan's, because I lived in Palmetto Bay, was, um, was the one at the Falls where that's now an alehouse. That was my Bennigan's. You and I have done. You, you and I have been in there. We've, yeah. we've uh, watched games there. We have. We have. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. I've often wondered if something sells so good, um, why don't they just have it all all around? Why don't they? I mean, there's obviously demand for it, so why not have it all the time? But they don't. They they really they control the demand. Every few years, they just it's like putting the the bait in the water mm-hmm. for a little bit, a few minutes, and then they're gonna pull it out, and they won't put put it in for you know a few more years. Speaking of fast food. So down in my neighborhood, uh, literally less than a mile away from my house, uh, within the last week and a half, they just opened a PDQ. I don't know if you've ever had PDQ. I've had them in Broward. Um, what is that? I, I love it. it. It's, it's very similar to Chick-fil-A. Very similar to Chick-fil-A. Like they specialize in chicken sandwiches and tenders. Um, I, what, I, what I love about P, and they have waffle fries also. So it's very similar to Chick-fil-A. But I love uh, PDQ. They have a crazy amount of dipping sauces, right? Like my favorite dipping sauces, they have a uh, one that's a mixture of buffalo sauce and blue cheese, like right mixed in the same packet, which I think is really good. They've got this garlic uh, ranch dipping sauce, which is really excellent. And, and, but, and so like, it's a, it's like an up and coming fast food concept. Like it's, it's very, it's very popular. Like I've been, mm-hmm. I've been to a couple PDQs in Broward County, they have PDQs over in uh, Fort Myers, where my wife is from. And so they had been building this PDQ right near my house, right by Zoo Miami. Um, like the opening for it got delayed a long time, I, I assume because of the pandemic, because they'd started building this, you know, a few months before, you know, things started to shut down for COVID. And so like I knew, I think as far back as like January that they were building a PDQ because they'd put a sign out front PDQ coming soon. So people in the neighborhood like knew that this was coming, right? And uh, and so finally, I think it was like November eighth. I think was when they had the grand opening, and 
I, I did I did get some food from there for my wife and I on like November 9th or 10th, like two days after. And Frito, the drive through line was <laughs> literally around the block. It was incredible. Like I've never seen, I've seen some long drive through lines in my life. A couple of times in, in California, I saw ridiculously long in and out burger drive through lines. Uh, but the drive through line at this PDQ was I'm going to conservatively say I was in a line uh, of, you know, 29, 30 cars in front of me when I got in line. Yeah, they were direct. Nothing is worth that as far as I'm concerned. Nothing is worth that. Yeah, I I, I tend to kind of agree with you. But like I got into the line and I told and I didn't even realize when I first got into the line and my wife was back at home when I first got into the line. I didn't even realize how how many times it was going to wind around. So I, I didn't realize it first. And then couple cars get behind me so it was like okay I'm kind of I'm kind of just stuck in this and like I told my wife I'm like hey like just so you know don't expect me home that soon because this line is insanely long and you know she just said hey if if you're willing to to wait I'm willing to wait it moves quickly like I got to give them credit at the PDQ they have a pretty good assembly line of, of getting people through it I was probably only in the line like 20 minutes uh 20 25 minutes I thought it would have been a lot worse than what it was but no, the, I mean, I mean, the food is really good. And then, uh, and so this was like a day or two after the opening. We're now like 10 days after the opening. And I drove by the other night, I drove by that location and it was still lying around the block. So they must be killing it with their business right now. I remember, you know, what about a year ago, a few months ago, when Popeye's came out with that sandwich of theirs. Yeah. And I actually went to the Popeye's not far from you, right there on 152nd. I know the one, and and, yeah. and, and, and it was like 15 cars deep, and I'm like, nah, forget it. I'll come back, uh, you know, another time. Now, nah, look, this PDQ that opens, okay, I can understand people know about it, and they want to go to it. Okay, I, I wouldn't wait that long, but that's, that's entirely up to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But the, the public's near us. In that same shopping center, there's a Burger King. You know, there are Burger Kings everywhere. They're all over the place. This one was at least, 10 car. I wasn't going to the Burger King. I was going to wow. Publix. But I look over, it was like 10 cars deep. Like, who's waiting that long for Burger King? Like, yeah, and really? just, just drive to the next what one, are, and there's probably nobody there. Yeah, what are they offering? I mean, what, what's going on with Burger King? Why is everybody so desperate for wow. Burger King? And then the other day, I, I drove by. Again, it was similar, a similar length. Like, wow. what, what am I missing here? Like, really? So... Um, but PDQ, it's something now. It's not, isn't Chick Fil A all white meat? Uh, yeah, I think PDQ. Yeah, I'm a dark is meat. All white I don't meat like. Too. I don't like white meat. Even not on meat. like a sandwich, like I, I can like like for me, it's like if I if I'm eating like like a pollo tropical, like the chicken with the bones, I prefer the dark meat. But for like a sandwich, I don't really like the fillet. I'm fine with white meat. Well, like isn't um 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 public chicken tender sub white meat right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I tried. I tried it once, and all of you guys rave about it. And I tried it <laughs> once, and I was like, eh. it was pedestrian to me. Well, m- more for the rest of us. Fine. If you, right. if you don't, if you don't like it, that's one less person. That's the line I use with my daughters, and I'm trying. You know, having something. You want to try it, honey? Sure. They do. They don't like it. I, great. More for me. That's exactly what I say to them. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we'll continue here on Dono and Frito. I want to talk about the savior of Miami Dolphins football when we return, because that, <laughs> that's another thing that has happened since we were last on the air together. Mm-hmm. This is the Dono and Frito show here on Sirius XM Slam Radio. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go! 
This is Tua Tungle by Lowen. Yo, Sway Calloway. This is Spice Adams. This is Michael, the playmaker every. What's up? This is Grok, and you're listening to Slam, Slam Radio. Radio Sirius XM. Yeah. Slam Radio has brought so much positivity into my life that allows so many young people to have a voice. I'm very thankful for this opportunity at Slam Radio. Not a lot of people get to say that they worked on the first radio station run inside a high school. I've learned so much from Frank the Tank. I've learned so much from Danny, from The Amigo. I've learned so much from them, and I thank them so much, and it means a lot to me. Slam Radio is a community. It just gives you opportunity. They give you opportunities that not many schools have. The people here are just great. Someone always has your back no matter what. It is definitely a place to leave your egos and your insecurities behind and just be yourself and all become one. I'm so thankful for everybody here at Slam Radio, and I'm thankful for this wonderful opportunity that I've been given to jumpstart my career. You are listening to Slam Radio on Sirius XM 145. And now we're back with the Donovan Frito Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Back here on the Dono and Frito Show, Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Frito, last NFL weekend mm-hmm. was a nightmarish one for me when it comes to my <laughs> wagers, okay? I had a horrid, horrid weekend. <laughs> Thankfully, I've had a good couple of weeks on international soccer, which is, I, I feel like it's more luck than anything when you're talking about friendlies being played. But one of the uh, one of the bad beats last weekend and this affected not only gamblers in a big way but fantasy football owners in a big way so tight low scoring game between the Cleveland Browns and the Houston mm-hmm. Texans Houston Texans are really bad and i want them to keep being bad cuz the dolphins yeah. have their first round draft pick i want that pick to be as high as possible so the Cleveland Browns and this goes to show you god vegas is so smart okay these handicappers, odds makers, are so smart. The Cleveland Browns were favored by three and a half points in that game over the Houston Texans. Now, I thought, hey, you know what? I think the Browns are more than three and a half points better than Houston. So that that seemed like, you know, easy money for me. And a lot of, of course, fantasy owners were starting Nick Chubb that week. So late in the game, the Cleveland Browns have a three-point lead all right, over the Houston Mm -hmm. Texans. And uh, this is with under a minute to go in the game. They've got a three-point lead. Nick Chubb breaks off a huge run. I don't know what exactly it would have been if he'd scored the touchdown. 60 yards. 75 yards. No, no, 60 yards. 60 yards. He started started on uh, his own 40-yard line. Okay, I, I wasn't sure. But he breaks off this big run off to the left side, and this is unfolding over the course of seven or eight seconds, but it felt like a minute and a half as I'm watching this live <laughs> on the Red Zone channel, and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to score. He's going to score. Cleveland's going to cover. All the fantasy owners are saying, yes, Nick Chubb is about to get a 60-yard touchdown. This is going to put me over the top. <laughs> And he makes, I guess, what you would call the unselfish football play, although I think it's very selfish not to think of the fantasy owners and the gamblers out there. And Chubb intentionally, because he could have waltzed into the end zone at that point. There was not a tackler to be found. He could have waltzed into the end zone 
Instead, he steps out of bounds at the one-yard line, knowing under a minute left, we can take a couple of knees and end this game. I, I still – I don't know if that was 100% necessary there, Frito, because they would have been up two scores with under a minute left. Like, I, I think he could have afforded to actually – score that touchdown but that's neither here nor there so the bottom line was and I actually do know a couple of people who were able to maybe they had bet it earlier in the week who were able to get Cleveland at minus three instead of three and a half so at least they pushed which is not as bad as losing right I mean it it stinks you don't win the bet but pushing at least you get your money back I had it at minus three and a half so I lost on that play uh, that was one of the bad beats of the weekend. And you see stuff like that happen every now and then. But, Frito, that was nightmare fuel. Well, didn't earlier in the year, I think it was against the Cowboys, and Todd Gurley scored too quickly. And he yes, got time he scored by accident. Clock. He scored by – yes, he did. He, didn't, he could have fallen down. He scores. They kick off. I think the Cowboys go and score. I think it was against the Cowboys. And then the Cowboys have this miraculous onside kick that they recover, and they score again, and they win the game. And so when you, when, when you consider that, it makes all the sense in the world why he went out of bounds, which is absolutely no risk. Baker Mayfield takes two knees, and the game is over. There's no risk of, of the Texans getting back the ball, not that they showed any evidence at all this season of being able to score. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're just brutally bad. How's that DeAndre Hopkins trade working out now? Um, uh, but he did the right thing, but I would think – if I was a, a Chubb fantasy owner, because in my league, my league, the scoring system, Donna, was like on steroids, okay? It's, you know, if, if someone runs a 60-yard touchdown run, in any other league, they get X amount of points. Mine, they get X plus like 90. I mean, they get huge bonuses for large, long, chunk touchdowns. And he, I mean, that touchdown would have been probably, my guess in our league, um, 20 points, that wow. one run. You know, and you're thinking if you got Chubb, I got it, I got it, I got it. Oh. And then the person who, who has Chubb got five points because of that. Because it was – and you're thinking you got – and then your fantasy, you know, you, you, you gave three and a half. The line was two and a half, then it went to three, then three and a half. Yeah. You gave three and a half, and you're just dying. You're thinking, oh, God, no. And you're just dying. And it, it, it was a smart football play. And if I'm Chubb after the game, as much as I'm, I'm Josh Friedman, I'm a fantasy football player – Mm-hmm. But if I'm Chubb after the game and a, and a reporter put his microphone in my face, or in this case now with Zoom, and asked me that question, I would say, I don't give a flying you-know-what about yeah. fantasy football players. We won the game. Right, right. And, and, and I, I strongly believe that uh, even the weirdest of players are not ever thinking about fantasy football in the moment. Like, they just you, – you can't. Like, you can't be a professional athlete. You're trying to keep your job. You're trying to keep your team winning. Like – maybe they might think about it afterwards, right? Because they're going to hear about it. Because if, if these guys actually check their Twitter, most of them do. Some of them probably don't. You see the mentions that you're getting. Why the hell didn't you score there? Or, where, or you know, well, what the hell was going on? So they're probably aware of it like after the game. But there's no way, Frito, in the moment in the game that they're ever thinking about either gamblers. And I'm sure a lot of these players don't even know the spreads before the games. But they're not thinking about that. And I wonder what point during that run, which, I mean, I, if I'm a coach, if I'm Kevin, I think it's Kevin Stefanski, I get the word into Baker Mayfield that if we get anywhere near the end zone, fall down. Yeah. Do not cross that goal line, whatever you do. And uh, since, the, since the Texans had no timeouts and it was less than a minute ago, it, you know, normally that late you tell your players, don't go out of bounds. It really didn't matter at that point because all, all he had to do was take two knees 
But I would say to them, whatever you do, the worst thing, and it's so counterintuitive, but if I'm the coach or if I'm the quarterback and I've got a, you know, this really high high football IQ, I'm telling my guys the worst possible thing we could do right now is score. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but it makes all the football sense in the world. I can only remember maybe one specific instance where it was obvious a football team, and in this case it was just the coach, was thinking about a spread. Florida against Miami in 2008, Urban Meyer, Frito, there, there was a – so in, in F- Florida was beating Miami soundly. Um, I, think it was, I think the game was in Gainesville. This was Urban Meyer against Randy Shannon. Robert Marv was Miami's starting quarterback. Robert Marv, play city, right? The best version of Miami. Um, s- some of the details of exactly what the score was and what the spread was are a little bit funny at this point. And, and I, I, I didn't have any, any action on that game or anything like that. I, I found out about this afterwards or people were telling me during the game because I was watching it at like a watch party. So Florida was comfortably ahead in the game. It's under a minute to go um fourth down and they kick a field goal like there's no re like there's no reason to you know you you go for it on like you're you're up by like a couple touchdowns you go for it on fourth down who cares if you turn it over like you're the the game is signed sealed and delivered and for no apparent reason urban meyer had his team kick a field goal i was notified that the difference between florida covering the spread or not covering the spread (laughs) was because of that field goal that there's no way to prove it because he would never admit it but what I think happened there was Urban Meyer clearly knew or somebody maybe told him on the sideline what the spread was in Florida they've got a lot of very wealthy boosters right the bull <laughs> I guarantee you these bull gators are probably putting you know a uh, couple hundred or maybe even a couple thousand dollars on every gator game and, and Urban was probably notified hey Herb a really good way <laughs> to get in tight with these bull gators who kind of run, they're, they're the Illuminati pulling the strings behind the scenes. If you can cover the spread for these guys and, and win them their money, that's going to be a real solid. So I swear to you, there's no way to ever prove it. But the only, like, it's a spot where in college football, you're up by a few scores. There's no reason in, in the final minute of the game to kick a field goal. It just doesn't make any football sense. Urban Meyer was doing it to, to, to cover the spread. I swear to you. Since he, it appears unlikely to go back into coaching. Wouldn't you love him to see him on a talk show or somewhere on a TV set? That enough time has passed. You know, Urban, did you do it because of the betters? Hell yes, I did it because yeah. of the boosters. Of course I did. But I, I, as long as we're on real quick football, can I bring up one thing that I haven't been able to bring up ever? Sure. Noon on Saturday, Indiana plays Ohio State. Indiana is in the top 10 for the first time, I'm 58 years old, Dono. They're in the top 10 for the first time since I was seven years old. That long, huh? 1969. Whoa. And they beat Michigan, which isn't any great accomplishment, as we've learned. It's probably hard was last year there. Yeah. They beat Penn State on a very controversial last-minute touchdown, last-second mm-hmm. touchdown. Mm-hmm. It was unclear if their quarterback was on the ground or not when he reached out and went across the goal line. But they've won, and they beat them. And by the way, they leap. In one poll, they leapfrogged UM. Both won. I don't know why UM fell back three spots, but, yeah, but that was uh, in Indiana, weird. Indiana is now the number nine team in the country. They're, they're going to the horseshoe as if taking on Ohio State wasn't hard enough. Well, you know what? I, sh- I shouldn't say that. There's nobody in the stands or very yeah. few people. Yeah. Um, if they can somehow beat Ohio State, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's incredible. I will just, I will 
you'll be hear me. You and I live a few miles apart. You'll you'll hear me scream if somehow they can they can beat Ohio State. And you know what? If if the game is really close, what I was just thinking of is I'm gonna have to leave and pick up my daughter from dance class like right at the time that game is nearing the end. Oh no. It better be decided by the- <laughs> can you tell her, hey honey, you might just have to hang out for an extra half hour yeah. or something. <laughs> I'm calling you an Uber so you can hop in a car and get with a stranger and come home. <laughs> yeah. That's what my brother said. He said once, you know, because I I I I about I, I know I was having trouble I picking him up or I don't know what it was. And he said, well get an Uber for him. I'm like, yeah, Danny, and my brother has no kids. Like, yeah, you, yeah, coming from the person has no kids. Yeah, put your car in a, in a, put your kid in a car with a stranger. Yeah, put put your put your 13 year old in, in in the car with a stranger. Yeah. That, that's a great idea. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so by the way, tonight is uh, Seattle and um, and Arizona. Thursday night games used to be crap games. I mean, it was like the, know. every every team plays the dregs of they're getting good games. I mean, it's tonight. If you're a football fan, forget even if you don't have any fantasy players. This is a hell of a game. Nice. Yeah, no, totally. It's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to that. And Arizona got them the last time, and it surprised some people. So I, I, I could see Seattle returning the favor tonight. You know, something, Frito, we haven't talked about it. It's been so long since we've done a show together. You know, the whole changing of the guard with the Miami Dolphins from Ryan oh. Fitzpatrick. I honor I honor Fitz with my beard. I honor the man. Um, <laughs> I, I've kept the beard even. Your beard might be longer than his now, right? Yeah, he trimmed it. So, yeah, my beard might actually be longer than his now. Uh, the Tua Tonga-Vailoa transition, it's mm-hmm. worked out great so far. I know that a lot of the ESPN experts really questioned it. Is this move coming from the front office? Why would you disrupt the rhythm? Fitz is playing well. The team at the time had won, you know, two straight, three out of mm-hmm. four at that moment when they made the switch. And yeah, first start against the Rams, one of the best defenses in the NFL. The Dolphins' defense special teams were massive. Tua didn't have to do a whole lot. He only threw for 94 yards. He was really just managing that game. The week after that, had a a mega game against Arizona. I mean, that game-tying drive that he led late, I'm not even convinced Ryan Fitzpatrick could have done that. Uh, Tua also played really well against the Chargers. Again, you know, you got more contributions from the defense, special teams. You blocked a punt, didn't have to do as much, but he was fantastic. I mean, three games in, mm-hmm. we could not have asked for a better, smoother transition because even being the Dolphins fan and to a lover that I am, I admit when they made the switch, I was a little bit nervous. Like I, cause you know, I, I've, I've been through so many different failed starting quarterbacks since Marino so many different bad situations quarterbacks have been in. I'm always going to be anxious and nervous when the Dolphins make a transition like this to the quarterback of the future. Still plenty of work to do. 3-0 and as a starter, but 3-0 and as a starter, five touchdown passes, no interceptions thrown, and he's making some crazy athletic plays out there. Honestly, I, I couldn't be happier with the way this transition has gone, Frito, and I think the Dolphins are about to go four and oh under Tua because the the Broncos this week looked very beatable as well you know it's been about the year, one year for the anniversary since he hurt his hip in that game and in, in in uh in college and he he seems to be healthy now and you you know you just look how he's played it look it's only as you say it's a small sample size it's only three games but he seems to show we were just talking a minute ago about IQ he seems to have a really high football IQ he's always had I'd say the one thing about Tua 
that strikes me, Dono, is he's got great touch on the ball. He knows when to lob it. He knows when he's got to have his fastball or when he's got to take a little bit off it and throw the fade and have it just right. He's, he's accurate. He's smart. And, you know, it's going to be so much fun to watch him develop. I think that, and he, you know, the Dolphins fans wanted this guy for over a year. Yeah. And right now they're seeing, you know, they're, 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 they just see this potential. I mean, your first game, by the way. Oh, by the way, see that guy right over there? Aaron Donald, best defensive player in the league. You're going up against him. And mm-hmm. he won that game. As you say, it wasn't because necessarily of Tua, but he did enough to win that game. Dolphins fans have every right to be so excited about Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, this kid has just got a tremendous future. And if he stays healthy, this is going to be obviously the best quarterback they've had since Marino. Yeah. I mean, what's really impressed me most about Tua so far, not only the IQ, as you mentioned, that's up there, that's through the roof. His accuracy, the tight windows he can throw footballs through is astounding. And he Mm -hmm. made one, one specific play and throw that he made Frito in the Chargers game that impressed me so much. Uh, at one point in the game, I think they were both on the same drive. Ted Karras, the center, had a couple of really poor snaps, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. second of which led to a fumble and a turnover. Two actually made the tackle on that turnover. But yeah. the one the one prior to that, uh, a poor snap by Karras that went into the dirt, nine times out of ten, when that snap is made, even when the quarterback has a chance to locate the ball, you're probably going to see him fall on it right? Take the sack because it's better than the turnover. Or if he can scoop it up real quickly, throw it away, you know, probably throw an incompletion. But Tua actually pulled that terrible snap out of the dirt. He was under duress and within a half second, no time to react, you know, kind of placed the ball on his left hand. Couldn't even, didn't even have time to get a good grip on it. It was just kind of like a, like a closed hand. And he flings it out to the left sideline or to the right sideline to Devontae Parker, uh, putting it in a spot with no time to react to where only Devontae Parker could pull it down. And he did pull it down for a first down. It's like that ability to turn a busted play into a first down. I know that when people are watching quarterbacks, they tend to focus more on, you know, touchdown passes, on stats. But, you know, in, in the National Football League where there's so little room for error, just being able to turn a couple of busted plays mm-hmm. into positive gains. Like if you can do that twice per game, it's making a gigantic, gigantic difference. And Tua has the capability to do that. That's one example. Another example was, and, and this highlight was really making the rounds on social media because it was such a good play. You know, Tua, I can't remember exactly when this was in the game, but Tua was rolling out to his left, you know, his comfortable side as a, as a left-hander and had his running back, Salvan Ahmed, open underneath for an easy completion that probably mm-hmm. could have gone for, you know, 9, 10 yards. Easy completion to the check down. But instead of settling for the check down, as so many quarterbacks would, Tua was able to Chad have vision, yeah, to wait about an <laughs> extra second because he had Mike Gesicki getting open downfield, mm-hmm. right, where – most quarterbacks would have settled probably for the easy check down, which may, maybe would have gone for a first down, but he was able to see the guy 20 yards farther downfield, wait for him to get open, deliver an accurate ball. So, I mean, again, right there, the difference between turning a busted snap into a first down, turning maybe a 10-yard gain into a 30-yard gain, a couple of those per game in the NFL where there's such a little margin it makes a huge difference. And those are the sort of positive plays this guy is able to deliver. 
and it's frustrating to fans when the quarterback does check down after check down. You, when I when I hear the word check down, I think of Chad Henning. Yes, a former top ten pick for the for the Dolphins, and they call him check down Chad because that's what he if he'd see the look downfield for you know a nanosecond. And okay, who's open in the flat right here? You're getting the ball. It'd be like a two-yard gain or a one-yard gain. It's, just, it's annoying. And here's a guy who's picking up a ball or trying to turn a busted play, and his eyes are downfield. You know, maybe he's got a good sense of who's coming to him from the left or right or even behind, but his eyes remain downfield. And, and not every quarterback does that. You said one thing earlier about Tua making a tackle. Hmm. If you're Brian Flores, you order Tua, you never make a tackle yeah, okay I mean do you really want him taking that chance no you know you see a guy running you step away yep I know again, again I'm gonna use the word counterintuitive again but I, I if I'm Tua I, I tell I if I'm the coach I tell him you and tackling never ever 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 in the NFL they call that making a business decision when, when a yeah. franchise quarterback declines to make a tackle, steps out of the way, that that's making a business decision. Now, I yeah. honestly, with Tua, I wouldn't mind if he were to make that business decision. If, I mean, because if he stays healthy, Dino, his, I mean, he's got such an incredibly bright future. I'm, you're impressed with him right now. He's only got three games under his belt. Yeah. You know, and no offseason to trade. None. And by yeah. the way, I got to applaud Ryan Fitzpatrick. He could have made a stink. Mm-hmm. You know, he really could have made this difficult. I don't know if you saw, um, in, in real quick, in, in the New York Giants, they had an offensive line coach, Mark Colombo, who used to be a right tackle for the Dolphins and would never talk to us, by the way, ever. The guy was really? a hole. Oh, I, I, I guess I wasn't covering the team when he was there. Wow. Oh, he was such a jerk, and he never would talk to us. Wow. Um, and uh, they brought in a former offensive line coach for the Patriots, where Joe Judge came from, to be his assistant. He got so mad and got into a screaming match with his coach that Mark Colombo got fired. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, here's the guy making a stink. Ryan Fitzpatrick, while, you know, with the media, he was expressing his disappointment, but he's never made a stink about this. He's, I mean, he has handled this beautifully. And there's probably not a bigger two a fan on a team than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you got to give this guy a lot of credit and applause for the way he's conducted himself. Yeah, and, and the great thing right now about being a Dolphins fan, so optimistic because it's not even just Tua. I mean, because you see other rookie quarterbacks doing good things. I mean, Justin Herbert has been mm-hmm. playing well. You know, Joe Burrow has been playing well, but you know their teams are in the cellar. They're not winning games because they're just not good enough. In the case of the Miami Dolphins, not only do you have you know a really promising young quarterback who I, I think will develop very quickly into a franchise guy, but um, I give Brian Flores so so much credit and Josh Boyer, his defensive coordinator, so much credit. Um, you feel at times like you're watching a vintage Patriots defense when you watch this Dolphins defense because they're not always doing it with the biggest names, right? Because uh, I didn't really know what to expect from Emmanuel Ogba, who's been just an absolute monster so far this year. A guy like Zach Sealer, who they just gave an extension to, they plucked him off a practice squad a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, like to see him playing the way he's playing. Andrew Van Ginkle has been a godsend with some of the plays this guy is making. And, uh, you know, the big thing, like I, I was reading and hearing some quotes from Chargers people, uh, Keenan Allen, the wide receiver, Anthony Lynn, their head coach, and they, in both talking about what Miami does on D, they were constantly confused, right? And Justin Herbert was made to look like a rookie for the first time this year 
because he couldn't figure out the Dolphins' coverage mm-hmm. scheme. You know, he was expecting zero blitz when they were showing zero blitz because he had watched their film against the Rams. And when the Dolphins showed zero blitz, they committed to it. But when they were showing zero blitz against the Chargers, they were dropping guys back into coverage, and he just didn't know uh, what to expect from that Dolphins D. And to me, that's a huge compliment. And, yeah, they do have some good players on that defense, but I think it's really more the scheme uh, that's carrying them. And, and that, to me, is a testament to the coaching. And Brian, and Brian Flores, of course, of course, came from the New England Patriots, was a defensive assistant there for a long time, a play caller. Mm-hmm late in his run you can see a lot of elements of the hallmarks of a Patriots D because they're so hard to figure out you know this is a dangerous thing to do what I'm doing while you're talking I looked something up the Dolphins right now are six and three and if you look at the next three games and it's dangerous to do this because it's probably going to bite you in the ass but they're winnable games I mean they're playing the Broncos who are without you know Drew Locke might not play yeah um the Jets who are the Jets and then they're playing the (laughs) The Bengals, yeah, and um, uh, and um, the combined record is uh, five twenty-one and one. Whoa, for those three teams—that's worse than I would have thought. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Well, it, the, the, the Jets contribute a lot to that. <laughs> and you know, you—I tell you what—you look at what the Dolphins had in Adam Gase, and you look at who they have right now in Brian Flores. The difference between them is bigger than the Grand Canyon. It's huge. And what Brian Flores has done uh, thus far with this team in in his second year, and he's only going to grow. And you look at the offseason signings by Chris Greer, these two guys have worked so well together. And then, you know, just the future is so bright for for this Dolphins team. And the Dolphins are what? I think a game behind the Bills right now. Mm -hmm. The Dolphins could. The half game. Half game. Okay. The Dolphins could win this division. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, think how we, about saying that the Dolphins could win. The future is so bright for this team. Now, you know, you talk about young quarterbacks, the fourth game, they play those three games, talk about then the, a team called the Kansas City Chiefs come to town. Oh, them. I've tougher. heard of them. <laughs> You've heard of them. And their quarterback, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Mahomes. Um, but right now, I mean, the Dolphins conceivably could be nine and three going into that game. And it is, this, they've made such good off-season acquisitions, and they're doing so well in-game. As you say, disguising the defense right now. I'm so impressed with this team in a, in a myriad of ways. Beautiful. And, and that's a good place for us to close it up. Uh, Dolphins, Broncos this coming weekend. You know, maybe next time we'll talk a little bit more about my Miami Hurricanes because they're not going to play for a bit. They're uh, they're off mm-hmm. the next few weeks due to COVID. They're not going to resume mm-hmm. again until December fifth. So hopefully, wow. hopefully they can quarantine and and get everyone back to a hundred percent and and that they can finish out all the games that they still have this year. But always a pleasure, Frito. Uh, always a pleasure working with you, my friend. And a huge thank you, Absolutely. Frank Tank and Larry Milian, the amigo. We will talk to you guys a couple of weeks from now. And have a great Thanksgiving. Yes, uh, yeah, I was going to say, we'll talk to you guys uh, after the Thanksgiving holiday. So everyone be safe, enjoy, eat all the lasagna that you can possibly eat and the turkey on Thanksgiving. We will talk to you guys next time on another episode of the Dono and Frito Show here on Sirius XM Slam Radio.